Hello and welcome to the Body Track Academy, created by EPs for EPs. We'll cover all things clinical, business and personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential. If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content. Hi and welcome to today's episode of the Body Track Academy podcast. My name is Tara and I'm joined by Dan Huff, who is the head clinical manager of Body Track. Hi Dan, how are you going? Hello, thank you very much for having me today. Really excited to get stuck into this podcast. Yeah, so before we get into it and talk about chronic pain, I just wanted to let our audience get to know you a little bit better. So I've got some quick fire questions for you if you don't mind. Mm, okay. All right, first of which, do you have any hidden talents or party tricks? Oh, hidden talents. Uh, I'm a drummer. So I just got given an, uh, another electric drum kit. The other one was from Audi, so that one's had its dues by day. <laughs> Bit of an upgrade. Got, got an upgrade. And, um, yeah, I've, I've drummed since I was in grade five. Loved it heaps. Love listening to songs and, and playing back. So, yeah, that's probably something. A bit of a hidden talent, yeah. Yeah, or the perfect segue to my next question. Uh, favourite band or favourite song? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, many people will know this who know me from work or my friends. Uh, Foo Fighters, number one band of all time in my books. And my favourite song would be Everlong. Everlong because every time I've gone to see them live, that's the song that they finish with. And it's a really nice kind of like, hey, we're finished for tonight after two and a half amazing hours, but we're coming back. Oh, what a memory. Uh, and my final question, when you are not working as an exercise physiologist, what do you do with your time? Well, I'm probably on my electric drums now uh, since I got them new, uh, got them recently, but I'm also pretty keen on, on sport and exercise. Uh, so you'll find me running, uh, playing any kind of social sports as well, um, uh, or going to the gym and hanging out with some friends. But yeah, that's pretty much me, I reckon. Right. Awesome. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about pain. Uh, it's something that I know has been a particular interest of yours. Mm. How did that come about? Yeah, so I guess it started, like I've been an, an exercise physiologist for seven or eight years now, and um, as, as a lot of people do in the start, they, as an EP, you just want to learn about as much as possible, mm. spread, get, get your knowledge across every condition and um, really absorb uh, a lot of information from your mentors, um, from, from other exercise physiologists. And then um, it kind of came to a point for me where I wasn't getting a lot of success with some clients suffering from chronic pain. And to me at the time, I was probably third year of practicing. And to me at the time, I really didn't understand what chronic pain was. Mm. So it really inspired me to sit down at the start of the year and plan out my professional development like I try and do every year. And I just thought, you know, I didn't get success with those clients last year. They might think that it was success for them because they were attending a, a clinic routinely. Uh, but to me, I didn't I didn't feel like a, they achieved the goals that we had established. Uh, and I think chronic pain was the big factor as to why that, that didn't occur. So I uh, enrolled into a pain management and practice workshop and that really just 
sort of set the foundations, my understanding, um, of the whole theory behind pain, which is something I just never, we never really learned at uni, um, never really had heard about from anyone. So it was a big eye opener for me. And I just completely changed the, the way I practice after going to that course. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of good take home, take home uh, messages from that. Um, interestingly enough, it was run, the, the company was a physiotherapist and a psychologist and an occupational therapist. So it was a really di- interesting dynamic and in how they approached chronic pain. Um, and I just took parts from what they said, uh, learned more about the theory, got involved in a lot of, um, reading about articles, uh, reading from articles about chronic pain. And then, um, you know, how does an EP then go about that? Yeah. So not to make you, uh, feel old as an EP, <laughs> uh, from what yeah. I've noticed, I think chronic pain, the theory behind it is getting a lot more attention and it might be, um, more widely understood now. Mm. But for those who aren't as familiar, can you tell us a bit more about that, um, pain science and pain theory? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I guess going back to what I thought it was, it was pain that lasted six months. And that's sort of what you do here from why they referred. Yeah. What makes it chronic? Yeah. Yeah. What makes it chronic? Well, that's the, that's the, the rule. Well, it's not always, you know, that's just a time frame, but there's so much more of a time frame. So I, I looked into a lot of theory behind it and, um, a key thing and a really simple way to explain it is it's just our protector role. That's why we get pain. It's our brain telling us, Hey, something's not right here. We need to make a change. Um, and a really good example, very easy example, imagine you being sitting down for way too long and inevitably you're going to get a little bit of soreness somewhere. All right. So that's a bit of a pain response. It's not, you know, overly damaging at that very point in time, but it's our brain telling us, Hey, this is an uncomfortable position. We need to move. We need to get up and, and change this posture because, um, if you sit like this for a long time, you probably will get damaged. So there's that protector role component of it. So, so like an alert system. Definitely. Yeah, it's an alert system. That's exactly right. Um, it tells us when we should be moving um, or why that pain is occurring. So uh, bringing that back to my clients, that's something that when I had that point in my time of career, in that third year going, oh, I'm not getting success here. I'm bringing it back to the fact of they only see me like once or twice in a week. What are they doing for the other five days? What positions are they in? Are they at a desk all the time? Um, is that why this recurring issue keeps coming? And is that something that I need to address further uh, in a physical sense, but also in a um, in an educational sense, sense for them? Yeah, so that's how I sort of directed it. And um, that's probably the easiest way to understand it, to simplify it. It's an alert system. It's our protector. That's why we do get pain. Right. And as the way you've just explained it now is do you use that same sort of terminology to explain that to a client? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So um, uh, exactly how I just said it then is a, is a really – I try and simplify it a lot because it can get very complex. So I will simplify it into that exact example um, and then I, I really look for how the client responds to that. If you see that your client, bring a little bit into language here, but if you see the client going, oh, yeah, 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 I understand. Nodding yeah. the head along. <laughs> Nodding the head along, exactly. Uh, you, you might be picking up on some cues there that they, they're not quite getting it. So I might have to go a different approach there. Um, I might have to go into 
a little bit more specific for what pain they're experiencing and then trying to think about other factors that would influence that pain and why that might be heightened so that alert system has become uh, you know a greater a threshold i guess okay so tying it back to the the client's experience and um why their alert system might be being set off yeah yeah exactly so um if you if you really pinpoint it down to how they they might move or um what might that pain be causing them uh, an inability to do? So a big one we, we hear here is uh, an inability to pick up grandkids. And it immediately becomes that emotional involvement then as well. So yes, they might have a, a sore knee, and that's a physiological sense. But how that pain is then interpreted, that comes in from the emotional side of things as well. So that pain could actually be heightened because they really want to pick up their grandkids and they can't because in the, what they're perceiving that is, is a threat. Mm. So then they're going, oh, if I pick up, if I try and pick up my grandkid, I'm going to exacerbate my knee pain further. This is going to get worse. And there's that kind of fear avoidance that starts to come in. So this is where it can get a bit complex. But as a practitioner, if you're educating them on these aspects, and they have a better understanding of it, well, then they're going to be better equipped to deal with that pain. And that's how I find my role as an exercise physiologist and helping people through chronic pain really what it is about. What I guess, yeah, you, you've led to it a little bit there. How does their understanding, and, and you say you've successfully educated them, how does their better understanding of what pain is translate into um, those uh, you know, goal achievement and those physical improvements that mm. are ultimately there to help them achieve. Yeah, so uh, I've got some really good examples of this, actually. Um, the example I gave before about the, it was a gentleman who just felt like he just couldn't get it, pick up his grandkids because his knee, pain, his knee was going to get exacerbated, his knee pain was getting exacerbated. So um, I took on board that and I, took, I also asked a few other questions um, around... Um, his current, what he can, his capacity. So what can he do? What can't he do? Uh, and then tying into the overall goal of him wanting to reduce his knee pain and why does he want to reduce his knee pain? That's, that's the other part of it and came back to the whole thing of being able to move better, play with his grandkids, all those things. So when I went into the education component of it and I wasn't getting the head nod that yep, 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 it was taking in. Um, he could see the link that what I was doing from a prescriptive sense for strengthening through his his, uh, his glutes, hamstring, quads, etc., to try and get stronger, so taking pressure off the knee, and knowing that that is going to get him in a better position to then be able to play with his grandkids because he knows, okay, this is this is my kind of threshold. This is my alert system going off a little bit here. He was responding in a way that he could feel he could better manage it. So he was reporting back to me going, I'm feeling better in that movement pattern of getting down because we weren't even looking at picking up weight or anything. We're just getting down into a comfortable position and then coming back up. The pain wasn't being experienced there. He was having a positive experience because he knew the direction. He knew the action plan and he knew what the outcome was going to be. So it's about expectation from that as well. Mm. Um, and he's motivated towards the outcome yeah. as opposed to fearful. 
Correct. Of the movement. Yeah. And a little bit of a side tangent here, but that comes back a lot to how you tie your effectively tie your goal setting. People can create awesome goals of losing weight and uh, managing their pain, but there's no value behind it as to why, or if you're not as a practitioner asking why that, that goal exists, well, you might only be there about 50%. The fact that I'm trying to get out of them, why does that mean, why, why does that matter to them? Mm. Then that motivation factor becomes a, like a lot higher. That's what I've found in my clients anyway. Yeah. Yeah. How important do you think education is? Do you have clients that don't want to understand it and are still able to get uh, those desired outcomes anyway? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be different in a case-by-case step, uh, basis as well. You're always going to have that with different clients. Um, uh, I think the benefit that we have as exercise professionals is everyone knows that exercise is good for them. So whether or not they take on board education that um, the, the pain education that I'm delivering, they know in a way anyway that all the other stuff that just naturally comes with exercise is directing towards their goals and, and is a motivating factor anyway. So um, they might not understand or, or push aside the actual pain education and going on about the alert system and the brain's output. But again, if they're... If you're um, objectively testing them and you're finding that they're getting improvements that way, then it, it sort of gets towards the end goal for them of uh, goal achievement and, and progressing towards um, those goals that they may have established in the first place. So it does, pain education does play a role, but you have to have the responders, you, you, sorry, you can have the responders and the non-responders to the type of education you're providing. Yeah. Overall, uh, because in a, in a societal not, um, understanding, exercise is good for you and, and get you to you know, feel better about yourself, well, then that is how I can kind of tie it in as well with them trying to achieve their uh, their goals that they start stated with me at the start. Yeah, yeah. I call mm. it sneaky education. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of looking at it, actually. Sneaky yeah. education. <laughs> Do you have any tips? So, for example, uh, I'm a client chronic pain, how do I learn to interpret what is my alert system, just perhaps, uh, you know, early warnings, Mm. preventative kind of warnings versus damaging pain? How do I learn to differentiate the two Mm. so that you can progress them through exercise that perhaps I've previously avoided? Good, good question. So um, I would say in, in that, it's coming back to addressing all the biopsychosocial factors at the start. If you're not doing that as a practitioner, then that, I feel, is half the work not completed. That is a really, really crucial component. So I'm, I'm sitting down with them. I'm looking at biological factors, um, social factors, and then the physiological ones, uh, of course, as well. So um, with that, <clears throat> that's how that um, emotion can come into how our pain um, our pain is interpreted. So, um, I'll, I'll paint a really quick picture. It's like you're adding fire, uh, sorry, adding fuel to a fire that's already there. So when you're getting that pain, that's a little fire, that's a little, um, flame that's existing. If you throw on top all the stress, the lack of sleep, poor diet, poor, maybe poor exercise choice, um, all those other social factors, 
that can probably increase it. It can even come down to the point of uh, environment that they're in as well. So they might be approaching something. Uh, and sometimes I get that where they're coming and they know they're here for rehab. But in my, I don't use the word rehab a lot because of that. Because uh, in their mindset, they, they have a negative connotation of what rehab is, mm. right? So then what I would do is try and get all that education, that, that understanding for them. Uh, and then they can kind of see the picture of what would be increasing their pain due to those factors. So that could be that it is the alert system going off. But again, if they haven't done anything and then they go to do an exercise or they go and do a movement that they've not done in ages, well, that's the damaging one. So sometimes I've had clients come and they said, I'm in a little bit of pain in my back, um, but I'm really keen on getting running. Okay, great. Let's set out a plan to get you to run safely without aggravating your back. And then sometimes they'll go ahead and do the run of 10K and come back <laughs> and they're worse. So then you can kind of get an understanding that from, and educate from that perspective going, all right, look, we're probably not in the most physiological um, best position to be able to do that kind of running because, as you can see, it's a damaging pain, right? Yeah. Um, whereas the other side, as I was mentioning, is more around what other psychological, social, environmental factors can actually influence and maybe just heighten the alert system and you know maybe shorten that threshold of what, you can tolerate with pain. So I try and get that as an understanding for them. Right. So if I can strip away and be sure that there are no um, psychological or sociological mm. factors that might be exacerbating my interpretation of the pain, mm. then mm. maybe I can be more certain that that is a physiological response. Yeah. Whereas when, yeah. you know, you can sit back and say, well, maybe it was the circumstances or the environment or my mood that day. Yeah. That contributed to why I thought that was more painful or was yeah. more easily aggravated. Yeah, definitely. And the amount of times that I would have seen that in my, in my time as an EP, and even reflecting before I've got more interested in pain science, um, yeah, I could, I could bring that down to a lot of different cases that I've had, uh, where I've had, I've had clients come in the same week and one day they're absolutely brilliant. They are firing all cylinders because I said, what did you do on the weekend? And they had a great time. They had a really enjoyable social, um, uh, social weekend, seeing, catching up with family and friends, uh, very positive. They've set some plans for themselves about what they're going to do with exercise and, diet and they slept well excellent session on the monday absolutely terrible on the friday because they've had a rough week at work <laughs> nothing's happened really physiologically but the pain is heightened because there's another stress that's involved in that mm. and it's kind of building into that psychological downfall in a way so i've had that many times yeah, yeah. Well, really great introduction, I think, to what is pain and sort of pain theory. So much more that we're going to get into in future episodes, um, working through some of the, the steps involved in managing chronic pain, pain with clients. Mm. Uh, anything you would like to leave everyone with as a final point? Yeah, I'll leave you with two. So <clears throat> theoretically, um, pain is an output from the brain and it will be our alert system uh, telling us that that we need to protect that area, um, whether that be from that long sitting posture that we that I was explaining about before. Um, and I really like the analogy of um, there's a little fire that started from the brain to the point of pain, and that 
fire can be um, increased or put fuel on it by those experiences that we spoke about, part of the biopsychosocial model. But if you can get them under control, then you're pouring water on that fire, which can dampen that flame and make your experiencing about make your experience about managing that pain a lot easier. So that's probably a good thing to, to take away. Uh, and then the other thing I just wanted to talk about was in future episodes, I'm going to tuck into a lot more about language. I, I touched on it today, but a lot more detail about how important language that you use as a practitioner is to get good outcomes for your patients. Amazing. Look forward to hearing more about that soon. I look forward to it too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Body Track Academy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you're not already in the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content.